Welcome to Funding and Disrupting, the most in-depth business podcast for companies looking to raise money and the investors who fund them. Every episode, we interview a funded founder plus the investor who funded them to get the real story of how it all came together. If you're searching for funding for a disruptive technology or business, or you're searching for the best companies to invest in, then you've come to the right place. This episode of Funding and Disrupting is brought to you by Aura Collective, a leading tech PR and marketing firm. Let's get funding and disrupting. Hello, it's another terrific day and welcome to another episode of Funding and Disrupting. Today's guest is Jeffrey Silverman, the managing partner of Laconia Capital Group investing in technology that is replacing analog workflow. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning, Keith. Great to be here. Great to have you, and welcome back to the show. <laughs> How are you always today? Lo- always love being here. It's great. I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's, so where are you calling in from today? Uh, I am in New York City, and I'm actually in my office. I'm the only one in my office, but I am in my office. Okay, well, and it's 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 a decent hour of the day as well. So it's nice to see that you're you're enjoying what you're doing. I today we're we're going to discuss Laconia Capital Group and Noteworth, a tech company founded by CEO Justin Williams and funded by Laconia Capital Group, who led the investment round. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to start by asking you. What advice do you have to fundraising tech companies that may be a fit for Laconia Capital? I would say that they should, you know, reach out to us if they are a B2B company that is seed stage. We define our seed stage investing companies that are doing about twenty to fifty thousand dollars in monthly recurring revenue and that they are replacing an analog workflow. You know, there's so many, so much workflow out there is still very antiquated. And we really get excited to invest in companies that are providing a digital solution to replace that antiquated workflow. We are sector agnostic. Is there anything that they could do that would catch your eye, let's say, that would get them to the front of the line? Because I'm sure you have a pipeline of, of you know, deals that are presented to you. Is there anything that somebody could do that would really stand out to kind of put them at the front of the line? You know what? I would tell you like warm introductions are always great, but not everyone has the, the luxury of having a great network and warm introductions. We are very, very accessible. We, you know, you can eat or go to LinkedIn. My email address is on LinkedIn is Jeffrey at LaconiaCapitalGroup.com. I've had people direct message me on Twitter, jsilverman 22 And we actually have office hours on our website at uh, www.LaconiaCapitalGroup.com where you can sign up for a mentor hour on Tuesdays from one to three or submit a plan through there. And we look at everything. We really do look at everything. We will get back to everybody to say, this isn't a fit because it's not the right stage. It might not be geographically correct, or it might be a sector like medical equipment or life science that we're not doing. But you know, make it very brief. When you send us these 50-page emails, that's a lot. If you just send us a, this is what we do, this is the current status of our company, love to connect with you, we will take a look at it. Terrific, terrific. So let, let's talk about Noteworth. How did how did you first get introduced to to Noteworth and and Justin Williams, the founder? Yeah. So one of my business partners, David Arcara, is close with another with an investor at Noteworth that did the pre seed stage investment, 
and reached out to David in mid of 2019 and said, you know, got this company in the digital healthcare. He's a really sharp founder, has a remarkable history. Really think you guys should look at this. So Justin came into our offices. We sat down and he's a character, you know, worked on a pig farm, lived, you know, went to the military, Navy, was in the submarine for five years, you know, parlayed that into going to Stevenson Tech for his education and just a really remarkable, thoughtful, driven person. And what he pitched us was that they were a, that North provides a comprehensive and scalable virtual care delivery platform that he was building that enables continuous high-touch patient care and engagement across multiple specialties and chronic conditions. So it was a way to really like telehealth on steroids. Well, this is in 2019. And so after going down the path with Justin, we passed because our feeling was it's a nice to have, it's not a must have. And we just couldn't see the medical industry jumping on board with that yet. And so we kept in touch and Justin kept in touch with us. And we made some some introductions to him like we always do for business development. So part of our due diligence process is we try to introduce him to potential prospects. It gives us good insight into, you know, the assumptions he's making about building his business and are they right? So he kept in touch and he came back in November and we passed again. And it's a theme here. So I see and the pattern here. <laughs> yes, we're definitely a no-no yes firm. And then in February of 2020, there was this thing called, not sure you're, you and your audience have heard about it, COVID that was bubbling up. <laughs> and so Justin calls us up and said, the pipeline is really starting to build here. I, I know you guys don't think this is a must-have right now. I think it's going to become one. So we came in in February and we started looking at this and we realized that you know COVID could be the thing that pushes this from a nice-to-have to a must-have. Not that they were going to address COVID, but that it was going to be needed for a communication between doctor and patient. So in March, we went out. And we we did we finalized the term sheet in March, and within two to three weeks it became oversubscribed, and we closed the deal the end of March, early April, and it's been he's been off the races ever since. So why did you decide to be the lead investor? I mean, how how important was it to be the lead investor in the in the in the deal? For our firm, we co-lead or lead about 85 to 90% of our deals. We have a very process-oriented due diligence process we go through. We really want to get to know the founders. It's just not about writing a check. We not only write a check, but we roll up our sleeves with them and we focus on operational execution with them, sales acceleration, and capital strategy. And to build a relationship with them to know if this is going to be a founder that was going to work with us and allow us to work with them, or they can be a founder that just says, give me your money and I'll visit, I'll speak to you in, in a year or two. It's important for us to do due diligence. We also have our process and we feel that you know it's very detailed. That being said, once we're done with the due diligence process and we start to syndicate the deal, we will give access to our data room to anybody who's looking at it to say, here's what we've got. If you want to add to it, if you want to challenge it, awesome. We want, we're not not saying we did everything perfect, but it allows that allows other VCs to accelerate their process a little bit, not shortcut it, but all the data is right there already, so they can at least see what the work we've already done. 
Now, I'm, I'm curious because I don't believe that we that I've asked you this before, but does Laconia do add-ons, add-on investments? Yes, we'll be in a situation where we make sure I understand what you mean by that. But we'll be in a situation additional rounds of funding. Yes, yeah, we do Series A. So, yep. Okay. So we'll we will do we lead we lead or co-lead the seed. We will then participate if the company is doing the things that we feel are worthy of it. We will then participate in the Series A. We'll help them syndicate. You know, help them find a lead and help them work with them going out to the market on that. You know, we'll make sure that the deck, the messaging is right. And then if we go to a Series B or Series C, we will put together a special purpose vehicle for our LPs to be able to put into it. So we just did a special purpose vehicle for Oculus, a fintech company that's doing exceptionally well and had just done their Series B. So we do that. We definitely add on. Terrific. Now, with regards to Noteworth, in, in, you know, what is it that you see as the secret sauce for them to, for their success? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Noteworth is the only platform that we've come across that offers providers the ability to address the demand of patients for end-to-end digital healthcare delivery. So you have instantly and infinitely configurable technology platform. It's got to, you can configure and install in hours, not weeks, which is really important for these practices. It's an integral approach for continuous care anywhere. So it's just not treating with one aspect of your health. If you've got a specialist that maybe is treating your multiple sclerosis or you know, tension. It can it can deal with that. It's very easy for patients to adopt and use, and it's um, usable as a point solution. So, foot in the door, or as an end to end patient care solution. So, again, doctors and practices can decide how they want to use it, and it benefits. I think the most important part for us was this was, was a technology that benefits all stakeholders, providers, clinicians, and patients. It wasn't wasn't a patient saying this is good for me, but a pain in the butt for the doctor. Everyone, all the stakeholders benefit greatly from this. Yeah, that makes sense. Sounds like it's a win-win for everybody there. And COVID has been great in regards to allowing doctors to still service their patients in a safe manner and patients feeling they're getting great care. Telehealth can only go so far. It's great for this. But, you know, the patient here, the doctor can say, I want you to check your blood pressure twice a day and actually can set your calendar alert so it does. So, so let's talk about just kind of the investment strategy of Laconia. What, what is, do you, is there a general exit time horizon for the investments? Well, I think it's important to know in venture, the only time we ever make money is when a company does exit through a sale or an IPO or, or, so yes, we're investing there because we want to see it eventually exit. If it gets, you know, gets marked up or it raises $40 million, $50 million, great. But it's not, you know, most cases we're not taking that, we're not cashing out earlier, don't have the opportunity to cash out early. So yeah, I think the timeline for in a perfect world would be three to five years. But again, you know, I would tell you probably up to 10 to 12 years. We have a company exiting probably in the next three or four months that we've had in our portfolio for eight to 10 years. It's something you can't control. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, everything can't be, you know, I know very often you have investors or you have investment money and you have to account for what you're doing and, and, and so on and so forth. And obviously, things some of things mature quicker than others. So it's a fluid well, Keith, I think it's important. I think, yeah, Keith, I think it's important to understand, and I say this to people all the time, we'll pass on companies and we'll tell them it's not a venture investment. And that's not an insult. 
we should be the last people they come to. Like we are, this is expensive money to take. We have different expectations. We're not there to build your, help you build your business, have you collect a nice salary and run your business and pass it down to your kids. That's not what this is. So when we see a company, and just the other day, we passed in a company that we loved the founder, loved him. But we were like, this is not venture backable in our word, minds. Like we're going to have expectations that on an exit, and yet you could exit probably $20 million and be a great exit for you, but that's not going to move the needle for our fund. And that's not what we're looking for. So just because someone says it's not a venture backed, it's not venture backable, that's not a bad thing. Well, I thank you. I appreciate that. We, I'm looking here at, at, at my notes here. And one of the things that you touched on in our last discussion that, that I, feel, I think is important is your affiliation with Off the Record and the great work that they do. And what I'd like to do is, if you wouldn't mind speaking about the close association you have with them and the importance of, of how they fit in with your investments. Yep. So we take a holistic approach with our founders. You know, we're not only investing in them for their business, but we want to invest in them for their professional development, their, 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 make sure they're they're, everything about them, they grow, they continue to grow as a person, as a human being, as a citizen in all aspects of their life. And so we identified early on that our founders are very, very isolated. And this is before COVID, that they're so busy building businesses, building their business and hiring people and selling that they're not really developing a peer group that can help and support them during the challenging times. And they can turn to us and others, which is great. But unless you've really walked in someone's shoes, it's hard to relate to them at times. And these are 24 to 40-year-old adults who are CEOs or CTOs or CROs, founders. And that's a special breed. So we started, we launched with six other VC firms, a nonprofit called Off the Record. And as a founder, you're placed into a pod with peers in the seed or series A stage and within a title. So we have a CEO pods, we have CTO pods, we have CRO pods. And once a month, you get together with these people, and it's a safe environment to be able to discuss the challenges you're having. It could be, I'm going out to raise a Series A, and I'm really frustrated. And within that group of eight to 10 people, four or five of them have already done that. So you're hearing from the horse's mouth what they've been through, and they understand what it means to be a founder running a business and going out to raise money, which is both their full-time jobs. So it's a really amazing program that has been very beneficial for a lot of our founders. Now, have they continued on during COVID doing virtual meetups? Yep, and actually expanded. I think the challenge for us is going to be, do they go back to doing them in person? <laughs> <laughs> so the network of, of you know, C-level executives, founders, whatever you want to call them, geographically, you said initially when I talked with you previously that uh, geographically you like things close to home, but do you see that changing, you know, more people participating from, you know, more distant locations? Yeah, listen, I think a lot of people have escaped the Northeast. I think they're all coming back. So if I've got a founder who's in Seattle and I know he's going to be moved back in six to nine months when the world begins to return to normal, I'd be crazy not to. So right. we are, you know, the due diligence process and the more important, the relationship development process has been very different. And it's been very challenging for me in full transparency. I am used to going out to dinner with these people during due diligence. I'm used to going for a walk or a run, meeting them for a drink and really getting to see them, getting their body language how they treat other people around them, how they treat the cab driver, 
being able to look into their eyes and see in a crazy way, see their soul. It's hard to do that through Zoom. So it has been challenging. But from a, we are starting to look at more companies outside the traditional Northeast. Now, what what advice for companies, you know, for, for founders or people who have an idea that are listening to the, you know, to, to this podcast, what advice do you have for people who want to reach out to Laconia? I mean, we, you had mentioned before, don't, you know, don't send me 50 pages. Yeah, you know, yeah. what, what advice, you know, yeah. again, like, let's, let's just kind of give them, you know, look, if you want to reach out to me, here's the best way, here's what to send me, kind of give them the rundown. And then, and then you can tell everybody how to get a hold of you. We can wrap yeah, it yeah, up. Yeah, no, definitely. First but of all, it's important that they, that they understand that they don't. Yeah. You're right, Keith. I, yeah. Listen, we're a very accessible firm. We don't require warm introductions. You know, not everyone's lucky to have a huge network that they can, you know, leverage. You know, you have our website where you can submit your proposal and email to us. And what's, we the, have, what's, the, what's the web address? It, the web address is laconiacapitalgroup.com. And on that, you're going to get a tremendous amount of information about, you know, early stage advice. You also can sign up for office hours. So every Tuesday from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We do 30-minute slots that aren't money pitches. They're purely come safe environment. We can advise you, give you our two cents to make you better prepared for when you do go out to raise money or if you've got questions and challenges about your business. And some have learned, led to an investment opportunity for us down the road. You can submit, you know, you can email me at jeffrey at laconiacapitalgroup.com. Follow me on Twitter and DM me on Twitter at jsilverman22. And then either on LinkedIn, I also I will not accept people on LinkedIn unless I've met them. But you can, my email address is also in my LinkedIn profile. And I would say to people is don't send me 40 pages on it. Send me a paragraph of what you're doing and what stage you're at and what you're looking to raise. So if you tend to me saying we're looking to raise $50 million at a $300 million pre-money, that's not us. So I can even easily say, thank you. You don't fall within our thing. And I think the quickest, the most important thing for other VCs to know is we try to get to a no as quickly as possible. You know, the most valuable t- thing a founder has is their time and to drag them through a process when you know you're going to get to know is just not fair to them. So it might seem harsh at times, but it's actually really beneficial to them. Now, now do you have a registration process with regards to, to companies that uh, present to you? No, they, we look at them, we'll... We'll get back to everybody who reaches out to us, either set up a time to speak to them or pass and tell them why we're passing, not the right stage, right. not the right sector. And then we set up a then we set up a Zoom call now. And what you'll get one of the partners immediately. And then we do diligence as a team. So if I like what you've presented to me, Keith, I will then say, Can we schedule time in the next couple of days? I want to bring my partners in and let's go through the, the pitch again and maybe the financial model. And then right. we'll determine at that stage. Now, if it's not a fit. As you mentioned in the other the, the other projects that you funded, a no doesn't necessarily mean no. It just means maybe it's not the right time. So it's up to, to the company to check back in and to kind of give you updates on what it is that you're doing. If you had some preliminary interest, it just maybe they should we should they should be feel encouraged that if they feel that they're at least in the ballpark to check back with you with with progress that they're making. Yeah, I would tell you this is exactly true. There's going to be people that, listen, don't just, we say no, or other people say no. Listen to why they're saying no. If I say no, because not the right sector we're looking at, you're too late for us or too, or, or you know, that's fine. That's a no. That's not going to change to a yes. If you're too early, or I think it's A, but you think it's B, and you keep communicating with me, 
that no might become a yes. As we said in the Noteworth piece and another one, Marpite, our last two deals, we said no twice before we said yes. Well, there you go. Well, that that's great. That's nice to 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 know that you're relationship oriented and and get the you know the background stories of how these company actually succeeded and in partnering with you and, and got a considerable amount of money. They were both around the same amount that you funded? Yep, about five to $750,000. Okay, there you go. All right, well, listen, Jeffrey, thank you for another great episode of Funding and Disrupting. It's, uh, it's really an honor and a pleasure, you know, to have a mentor such as yourself share, you know, with the audience. And, and we know from the funding side, it's always the wild west. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah, but it's always invaluable to get the inside story, and we appreciate you sharing your experience. Keith, um, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to come on your on your podcast. Greatly appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Until next time, keep funding and disrupting. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Funding and Disrupting. Don't forget to visit our sponsor, AuraCo.com, to learn more about working directly with Aura Collective's exclusive technology PR team. They'll help you craft your message, get noticed in the press, and help you get your venture to the funding finish line. Again, you can visit them at www.AuraCo.com. Keep funding and keep disrupting.